Well, did everybody have a good Christmas? Good? All right. Hey, uh, I don't know if you heard the news or not, but uh, UVA Wise is National Cornhole Champions. <laughs> Saw that and I thought, is this real? And yeah, it's real. It's on ESPN. You know, I couldn't believe it, but hey, a reason to celebrate, right? Um, another reason to celebrate is we're almost to another year. Can you believe that? I mean, it's just flown by. Uh, 2020 will be here next week. And, you know, you've already heard all those jokes, so many of them, 2020 about vision, vision jokes, right? You know, I can't wait to see all of them. Actually, I can't wait till 2021 because then hindsight really will be 2020. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Done there. Okay. Uh, we are finishing up in our Ruth series today. And this series has been a story of hope. And, you know, really in a nutshell, no matter who you are, what you've done, what circumstance you're in, God can bring hope into any life and into any situation, and that's, that's what we have learned in this, and if you've missed a Sunday, you can go back and, and listen on our website. So with the new year approaching, we reflect on a year gone by, and we really sort of anticipate the next year coming up, and much like the book of Ruth, a new year is about what? Hope. It is. Maybe um, hope for a change in your life. Maybe hope for something better. Maybe hope for something different, maybe hope for a new life for you, right? Maybe hope to be more like Christ. That's a good hope to have, isn't it? Uh, maybe hope to grow closer to God. Maybe hope to grow in your faith. I personally want that for me. Uh, I want to grow closer to God. I want to grow in my faith. I want to be more like Christ. But here's the thing, that isn't easy, is it? It's easy for me to say, it's hard to do. We, we live in a sinful world. I don't have to remind you of that. Um, we have a sinful nature still, right? So there's this desire to be more like Christ, but also there's this struggle with our world and with ourselves. And Paul talked about that. Um, sin is missing God's mark for your life. It's, it's falling short on what God wants for your life. We all sin, all of us do. But here's the thing, we are still called to live for God, so that's a struggle, isn't it? And if you're honest, you know how that feels. When God's Spirit puts his weight upon your life, that's a strange feeling. It's uncomfortable, right? Um, that's very re real. Well, hopefully... The things that we're going to talk about today will give you some encouragement in this struggle and in your walk with the Lord. Now, last week we finished off Ruth. We finished the book with a genealogy. Um, but I don't think we're done yet. I think we can still learn more from her story. But Ruth is mentioned one more time in the Bible in the New Testament book of Matthew. Um, she's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. All right? In Matthew chapter one, and there are some things that we will learn from this genealogy that will give us hope, I hope, right? I hope that it does. 
not just for a new year, but for a new life, a a fresh start in our walk with the Lord. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, all these gospel writers um, had intentions. Matthew's intention was to make Jesus... Uh, cl- make it clear that Jesus is the Messiah. So he is speaking primarily to a Jewish audience here. So he's using all these names that would have just, you know, opened their eyes. Yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, means chosen one or anointed one of the Lord. And then the son of David, yeah, they would have known who he was. The son of Abraham, sure, they would have known who he was. That's how he opens this up. And then starting with Abraham, he goes like this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, verse number four, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So there she pops up there. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Okay. Anybody want me to read that again? Did you get all that? Well, I'm not going to. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Didn't have enough coffee. Uh, there are many more names mentioned in Matthew. Matthew goes on to mention them all the way up to Joseph and Mary. But I want to stop here. I want to stop. I think there's some important things that we can learn. There's some interesting names mentioned in the family tree of Jesus. All right, so let's go through some of these names. First of all, Ruth, right? I want to talk about her starting off because we're in a Ruth series But it's interesting, we just spent a lot of time talking about Ruth. We did a whole series on her story, and now she's included in the genealogy of Jesus. Wow, pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, She was a Gentile, and uh, most of you know what that is, but Gentiles are just non-Jews. To the Jews, it was either the Jew or a Gentile. That's two, two people groups in the whole world. Ruth was a Gentile. Actually, she was a Moabite. I mentioned this briefly uh, before, but Moabites were descendants of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. Okay, that's where, that's where the Moabites came from, and they were the nation of Israel's enemy. Um, Ruth ended up marrying Boaz. Right, we learned that last week. Um, very interesting how she became a part of Jesus's family tree. And then there's a lady named Tamar. Tamar, she is also a Gentile. Non-Jew, okay? And this is a very twisted story that I don't have time to go into this morning. You can read it on your own in Genesis 38. Okay, pretty much there's a guy named Judah. Y'all have heard of him, Judah? Um, Judah had some sons. One of the sons was married to Tamar. Okay, one of those sons died. He was wicked. The Lord took his life. The next son, which was supposed to do what Boaz did with Ruth, really didn't do a good job of that. So the Lord took his life. What's son number three thinking? <laughs> yeah, watch out, boy, she'll chew you up. 
<laughs> oh, okay. So, um, he stayed away. Judah wanted him to stay away from her, right? He still wanted to, he wanted to keep his sons. So, uh, Tamar took matters into her own hands. She pretended, she dressed up. She hid her identity one night and pretended to be a prostitute and ended up sleeping with Judah, her father-in-law. Okay, she gets pregnant and has twins. I'll let you read the rest. But the twins' name, Perez and Zerah, mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Wow. Okay, then there's Rahab. Rahab, also a Gentile, a Canaanite prostitute. Now, if you thought Moabites were the enemies of Israel, Canaanites are worse. Actually, it was against the law of Moses for Canaanites to be included into uh, Jewish family. She should not even exist in the Jewish community, but we know from the Old Testament that she helped Israel spies in Jericho. All right. She became the mother of Boaz. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, was Boaz's mother. Wow. And she's mentioned several times throughout the New Testament. Then we have Bathsheba, who's also a Gentile, and, and the genealogy listed here in Matthew doesn't mention her by name. It's almost like, you know, Matthew is sort of ashamed to mention the name here. But it calls her Uriah's wife, and she was involved in this royal scandal with King David that we all know about. She's mentioned here. So Jesus' family tree mentioned four women, which was unheard of during this time. You just didn't write about women. You just didn't put women up in the forefront in this culture. You didn't, uh, especially in the genealogy of Jesus. But Matthew makes a point here to include them. But there's more we can learn from that. We can do a whole sermon on that alone about equality in Jesus. Um, but there's more we can learn. These are not just women. All of them were Gentiles with some major skeletons in the closet. Major. Now, I don't just want to focus on the women, but most of this tree is crooked. Most of this family tree, I'm telling you. Um, you start reading it, you start looking at some of the names, and you're like, what? You know, um, let me give you a few of these names. Abraham, right? We, we read about him and we're like, we want to be that guy. Well, not all the time. Um, Abraham, father of a great nation, he made a huge mistake by not listening to God and taking matters into his own hands and we are still feeling the effects of that today. Okay. Um, Abraham, Jacob. <laughs> Jacob is the guy whose name was changed to Israel. It, uh, really we you know we think of Abraham as the father of the nation but Jacob is the guy that whose name was Israel he was shady crooked he was dishonest he lied and he tricked his way into his inheritance and then David oh David a man after God's own heart he damaged his kingship and tore apart his family over lust He even gave orders for his own friend, Bathsheba's husband, to be killed, right? <laughs> what a family tree. Does anyone here have a family tree that looks like that? I mean, honestly, we just had lots of meals 
over the holiday, over Christmas, right? And who would you rather sit next to during that? Uh, a murderer, a cheater, a prostitute, an enemy of your family, or twins whose dad is their grandfather? <laughs> Some of you are like, well, I, was you at my house? <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry, that was bad. But why mention this, right? You might be thinking, well, this is weird, right? I mean, why mention this, and what does this have to do with us? Well, three things really quickly um, that we can learn from this family tree of Jesus. First, it's so important. Jesus came for sinners. He came for sinners. Jesus, Jesus' family tree is a picture. We like books with pictures, don't we? I do, <laughs> We like books with, it's an illustration for us of why Jesus came. We can look at it and, and, and see exactly why Jesus came. This is not only why he came, but how he came, right? It wasn't by accident. He, he chose to come this way through a crooked and twisted family tree, through a crooked and sinful genealogy, because that's exactly who he was coming to save. That's why he did it. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, repent, we hear that word a lot, but it means turn to God. It means restore to God, to join with God. This is beautiful to me. Jesus came specifically so that sinners could be reunited with God. That's why he came. Uh, Jesus didn't come for the holy. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the perfect and those who have it all together. He didn't come for those who make right choices all the time. He didn't come for the people who never fail or make mistakes. He came for sinners. He came for the hurting. He came for those who have messed up. He came for the imperfect and the unrighteous. That's why this family tree, although we look at God and we think, well, that's unordinary for a holy God, but it's perfectly ordinary for you and me because we are sinners. It represents us perfectly. If you've ever messed up, Jesus came for you. If you've ever felt unworthy or unimportant, Jesus came for you. If you've ever made bad decisions or choices, Jesus came for you. If you've ever done something that you're ashamed of, Jesus came for you. This strangely beautiful family tree shows us that Jesus came for people who actually needed a Savior, right? Jesus came for sinners. So what else does this family tree tell us? Second thing is God is more concerned about your future than your past. God is more concerned about your future than your past. Many of these people made poor choices, and they probably lived with regret. We know David does. Many of the Psalms come after his decision, after his life fell apart. That's why it resonates with us so much. We read that and we're like, oh, he's feeling what I'm feeling, right? There was regret there. We all have those. We all have things in our past that we wish we could take back. We all have things that we wish we could do over, right? Or am I the only one? Come on now. We may have things, we may have things that happen to us that others have done to us, right? And we're ashamed of that. We're embarrassed of those things. And and. We bear the scars of those things. For some people, it isn't a big deal. I get it. 
But for many, the past is a difficult thing to let go of. Sometimes you carry around the baggage with you for a long time. And what happens is it really keeps you from becoming the person that God wants you to be. Philippians 3.13, this is what Paul had in mind when he was saying this. Brothers and sisters, you and me, Christians, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You want to know who had lots of baggage? This guy did. Killed Christians? Don't tell me if you did, but I highly doubt it, right? This guy had a past, and, and you can just read through it, and he struggled with it, and he fought it every single day of his life, but did he let it keep him from being the person that God called him to be? No, no. He didn't. That's why he said, forgetting what is behind. Do you think he's really talking about forgetting? It's, it, of course he remembers. What is he saying there? Put it to the side. Do not let it weigh you down. Instead, you strain. It, you work. It's hard. It's hard. You work hard to move forward toward God, look, you can't focus on God when you're fixed on your past. You can't. Um, Anybody seen the new Lion King movie? I saw it, okay. I got kids. Didn't go to the movies by myself or anything. All right, so the old one was better. I I like the cartoon version better. All right, um... But, but in this, okay, in this, those of you know, have seen it, um, Simba couldn't get over his past, right? Um, he carried this guilt of his father's death around with him for a long time. He did, and it kept him from stepping into his destiny of becoming king. And Timon and Pumbaa, right, the little... Um, pig and the, the muskrat meerkat, meerkat. <laughs> they have brilliant advice if you want to change the future you've got to put your past behind you right I mean isn't that good I, mean, I know it's a kids movie but that's exactly what Paul's saying here right You may be one of those people who struggle with your past. Is it time to let that go? Is it time? Is it time to say that through Jesus, my past has been redeemed? He bought it. Is it time to say that through Jesus, I am not who I was before? Is it time to say I'm not defined defined by my past I'm not defined by any decision that I made or anything that I went through I'm not defined by somebody else that harmed me in the past I'm not defined by the family that I grew up in but I'm defined by my savior who loves me and now because of him I'm defined by my father because I'm his child right is it time to say that 
for many of you, it might be time to leave the past in the past and step into a new life. Why is that? Third thing we can learn about this tree. God is preparing you for a greater future. God is preparing you for a greater future. Many of these people mentioned in Jesus' Jesus's lineage, they went on to do amazing things. Despite their past, God used them to accomplish great things. You know what he, God did? He took their stories of sin, their stories of failure, their stories of regret, and turned them into stories of success, stories of significance, stories of victory, and stories of greatness. That's what God did. You know, God is more concerned about your future rather than your past because he is preparing you for a greater future. The life that God wants for you is so much greater than the life that you had before. He wants to do great things not only for you, but through you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you have this memorized. Many of you, this is your life verse. I want you to step into it. I want you to claim it. I want you to live it. I want you to feel it. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know, this is God speaking to his people. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, God was saying this to the people. Many of us fail to realize the context in this. God was telling this to his people who were in exile. Right? who were from their homeland, who were going through difficult times. And this world may be full of ups and downs. It, it may be full of hardships and difficult seasons in our lives. But you know what? In the end, God has a plan. And it's not planned for your defeat. It's planned for you to prosper. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a great life ahead. Not only a life of blessing, but a life of significance. You might say, not me. Not me. I've said that before. Not me. I missed my chance. I messed up too many times. Or I'm too old. It's too late for me. Too much time has gone by. Or you might say this, I I just keep trying and trying and I just can't seem to get where God wants me to be. I don't know what's going on. I have been there too. Let me ask you this. Who is your hope in? Yourself or God? You see, you place your hope in yourself, you'll lose every time. If your hope is in God, he never fails. Right? We think those things because we put too much hope in ourselves. And we let ourselves down every time. We place our hope in God, Philippians 1.6. Okay, let's read this together. And I am certain, right? Does that sound like he's wishy-washy on this? I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue whose work? Yeah, not yours. Will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Look, what God started in you, he wants to finish. You need to understand something here. What God started, he wants to finish, okay? God is not done with you. It doesn't matter young or old. It doesn't matter your age. If you're hearing my voice, if you're hearing my words, God's not done with you. Did you hear me? He is not done with you. If you can move your eyes, 
God's still moving in your life. If you're breathing, God is working. If you're alive, there's still hope for you. There is. Because God isn't finished until he's finished. Until Jesus returns. Until he see, we see him face to face. Then, then, then the work is done. That's why on your bulletin there, I feel like God's called us to this, building a community of mature Christ followers until the Lord returns. You see, I believe that God just doesn't call us to win converts. I believe God wants mature followers. He wants real people. And he wants his people here in this body to grow and to mature and to keep working and to keep getting stronger for how long? Until he says so, not us, right? That's what's important. God will work in your life if, if, if you will let him. If you will let him. You have to be willing to put in effort too. You have to be willing to do, this is exactly what Paul says, forget what is behind and strain for what is ahead. Strain there involves work. Involves effort. I think about Ruth. We, we just read her story. Now, was Ruth one of those ladies that just kind of sat around and didn't do anything? Oh, no. Uh, it's amazing what God did through her. You know what she could have said? Oh, I'm a nobody. Oh, you know where I come from? You know who my family is? You know what I'm dealing with? Oh, my husband, he passed away. Oh, my father-in-law, he passed away. Oh, I have nothing now. Do you know she could have laid out all those things? And they are all valid. They're all valid. She didn't do that. She didn't say that. She forgot what was in the past. And she strained for what was ahead, you see. She worked. She got busy. And then what did God do? He got busy. He got involved in her life. And he did things that only God can do. And we're reading about her in Matthew We're reading about her as Jesus coming from her lineage. Wow. She stepped into a life of significance. Now, God is more interested in what you are becoming than what you were. He is. God has a great future planned for you, but it's up to you to step into that. It's up to you. Now, I'm going to prepare to close here. Why would God care so much about your future? Why would he do that? Why would he care? Right? I mean, sin is son, I'm saved now, why would he care? Last thing, Jesus died so we could live. Somebody died for you, for your future. All right? That puts it in a little different perspective. That great future that God wants us to have, that great plan of a future wasn't free. The only reason we have it is because Jesus paid for it with his life. Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. I love that language. Jesus came for sinners and he died for sinners at the right time. And we just kind of read about God's sovereignty in Ruth and how God is sovereign over time and how he does things in his providence. 
and in his power. And at just the right time, Jesus came and he died for us sinners. This was the plan all along. Wasn't plan B. Wasn't back up and punt. This was his plan. You know, we just finished celebrating the fact that Jesus was born, right? I just dropped him this morning. I was taking a, the little statue down, and Mary Beth, I'm sorry. I don't know if that was yours, but I dropped baby Jesus. I uh, felt bad about it. But we just, we just celebrated the fact that Jesus was born, that God came to, her, to us. But the reason he came, there's no denying it. There's no confusion. There's no gray area why Jesus came. He came to die for sinners. He came to die so that we could live. He died to set you free. He died to give you a future. He died to give you life. That's why God cares about your future. That's why God cares about what you do with your life. Because his son, his son, his son paid for it with his. It's personal. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to stand before the Lord and look at him and feel regrets about what I could have done different. I don't want to look at the one who gave his life for me and, and think of how I held on to the past and didn't embrace and love the life that was laid down for it. I want, I want to live my life for the Lord. Jesus came to pay for your past, but also to pave the way for your future. And through Jesus, we've been given a new beginning, really, a new life, a chance to live the life that God wants you to live. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to close. What's holding you back from that? What's, what's keeping you anchored to the past? What's preventing you from moving forward into the life that God wants you to have? What is it? Let me ask you a better question. What would it look like this year, or even now, if you went all in for Jesus? A hundred percent all in. God, I'm yours. Whatever you want, my life is yours. I'm going to forget the past, and I'm going to strain forward for what you have ahead for me, for I know your plans are great for my life. You have plans for me to prosper and to bless me. You have a great future planned for me. My life is yours. What would it look like if you did that? In Christ, we have an eternal hope. We have an everlasting hope. But we also have a hope for now, today. The present. A hope to glorify God with the new life he's given us. Now, this last verse isn't on here, but it's on your bulletin if you have one. Uh, Revelation 21.5. This is Jesus when (laughs) he does return. Behold, I am making all things new. Isn't that good? Is that your prayer today? Lord, make me new. 
Lord, renew my life. Lord, fill me with your love and strength so I can live for you. Wow. May that be our prayer today. Let's bow. Father, today we love you and we thank you. Father, as we read the genealogy of Jesus, we see some things that are striking to us. We see how you came for sinners. And we see how almost all of those people um, had mistakes, had baggage in their lives. But that's exactly who you come to save. And that's exactly why you came. Help us to realize that you are more concerned with who we are becoming rather than who we were. And that through you, um, we have a new identity. Through you, our past has been forgiven. Through you, that baggage has been uh, taken off of our shoulders. Father, help us to step into the new life that you have given to us because you have a great future planned for each and every person. Help us to see that in order to give us that future, your son Jesus died for it. Father, help us to give our lives to him because he gave our life for us. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know the Lord, Father, I pray that they would just realize that they just need to place their faith in you. They need to see that you came to save the entire world, including them that you came to forgive their past, that you came to live a holy life, a perfect life, and you came to die death that we all deserved. Father, I pray that they would believe that on the third day that you raised Jesus up victoriously and he is living right now. Father, and that through that victorious new life, Anybody that places their faith in you can have new life as well. Not just life now, but eternal life. Never separated from you. Never separated from your love. I pray that that, that person would give their heart to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.